reading in verse number 50, or if we're willing and physically able, let's stand please. Matthew chapter number 27 and verse number 50 this morning. The Bible says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And there came out of the grave after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared unto many. The Bible said in verse 54, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the portion you directed our hearts to. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless this text, bless this scripture. Use it in our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I appreciate you for standing for the word of God and for prayer. Of course, you know where you're at when you come to Matthew 27, your Bible. We have just uh, stepped on the holy ground there at Calvary. Verse number 50 concludes the death of the Lord Jesus. Notice, he yielded up the ghost. Meaning that his life was not taken from him. But when you yield something, that means you are giving something. Jesus declared in John chapter 10, Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay my life down. He said, I had the power to lay it down. I had the power to take it up again. And thank God, he did lay his life down. I'm glad three days later, he did take it up again. What I'm interested in this morning, though, within the context, of course, Jesus has died, but there is something that happens within this context that got upon my heart this week, and it's in verse number 51. When he yields up the ghost in verse 50, something happened down at the temple. The Bible said, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Now, we understand that in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, after they get out of Egypt, God begins to give Moses some instructions concerning what we know as the tabernacle in the wilderness. That tabernacle would last until Solomon come along and built the temple, and the articles that were in the tabernacle were then transferred into the temple. There was Solomon's temple, there was Zerubbabel's temple, there was Herod's temple, which was a basically just a revamp, a remodel of Herod's te- of Zerubbabel's temple, and then of course it was destroyed in A.D. seventy by the Roman Emperor Titus. There will be a millennial temple. They will have a temple during the tribulation period, and we understand all that. But something that was a lot of articles in that temple. Of course, we know as you walked into that tabernacle or temple, there would be the brazen altar, there would be the brazen laver. There would be the golden candlestick. There would be the table of showbread. That showbread's interesting. It was 12 loaves of bread laid six by six. Pictures of the Word of God. There's 66 books in the Bible. Amen. They had, of course, the candle, the menorah, all those things. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had the mercy seat. They had all the, the altar of incense. We've dealt with all that before in days gone by. But I've never preached a message just on that veil. There was a veil, of course, they had the holy place, but then behind that veil was the holiest of holy place. 
It was behind that veil where the priest would go behind and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people once a year. And he never went behind that veil unless he had blood with him. That veil reading this week, Alfred Edersheim, the Jewish historian, said this veil in this particular context of Matthew 27 was some 60 feet long, 20 feet high, and as thick as a man's hand when measured across the palm. They'd done that for several reasons. Because they were afraid of God. They could not, anybody just could not go back there behind that veil and have fellowship with God. In fact, you had to be in the Levitical priesthood. You had to be one of the sons of Aaron. You had to be a priest. And then if you were a priest, you could only go behind the veil one time a year and you had to have blood. And so that veil was there for a protection. And it signified the separation between God and man. Why was there separation between God and man? Well, the prophet Isaiah said, quoting the Lord, he said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is there ever that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God and your sins has hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so that veil is there separating God and man. Just the average man, especially the average Gentile, could not get to God. For the Gentile to get to God, he'd have to get born all over again. He'd have to have a second birth because he was not a Jew. He was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not of the household of Aaron. He was not a priest. He had no way. He would have to be born again if he was going to get to God. He'd have to have a second birth in his life. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he cried out, Teleestai, it is finished. When he cried out, John gives us more details when he yields up the ghost. He'll say, Father, into thy hands commend I my spirit. When that took place, something happened on the temple mount. Something happened there when Caiaphas the priest, I believe Caiaphas was most likely behind the veil making a sacrifice. I can't prove it, but it is the time of Passover. It's not a stretch to believe that Caiaphas could have possibly been behind that veil performing the priesthood. And all of a sudden when Jesus cries from the cross and he dies, that veil that was 60 feet long and 20 feet wide and 4 to 5 inches thick, it rent. It tore down the middle. And notice it did not rip from the bottom to the top. But it was rent from top to bottom. So I said, preacher, why is that so significant? Because man had been trying to go from bottom to top their whole life. And they couldn't get to God on their own. But when that mediator of a new covenant came, and when the death of the testator took place, God reached down from heaven and he ripped that veil in half. And the veil was rent there in the temple. Edersheim said, Jewish history teaches, we do not have biblical context for this. This is a strictly Jewish history. Teaches they tried to sew that veil back because they did not even believe that Jesus Christ was, was, was the Messiah. Even though they might have sold that veil to separate God and man, that day the veil was rent. The way was open. The, the path was made. I want to preach on this thought. The veil 
is gone. Aren't you glad this morning that we didn't have to go to a priest today? I didn't have to go to a pope this morning. I didn't have to go through a man to get to God. But I went through the God-man. For there is one God. And one me between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad we believe in the individual priesthood of the believer? I'm glad I don't have to go somewhere and talk to a man in a room that calls himself Father and he dresses like Mama and he messes with little boys to get my prayer to God. But this morning I laid on my face in my office and I walked into the throne room. How did I do that? Because the veil is gone. What happened when that veil was rent? Three things. Number one, there was the atonement for salvation. Notice this now, when Jesus, when the veil of the temple was rent, it was signifying the fact there is no more need for another sacrifice. There is no more need for another offering. He put the Levitical priesthood out of business. I understand during the tribulation period that we're going to begin to offer sacrifice again because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But it's all in vain. It's all a waste of time because there was one sacrifice made. Oh, John's a baptized on the banks of the Jordan River and he's a preaching. There's a one coming. There's one coming. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoe. There's a one coming. He's got locusts coming out of one mouth, honey dripping off his beard, the kiss of heaven on his soul, and he's a preaching. The people are lining up to get baptized for the remission of sin. But all of a sudden, John's message changed from there's one coming to behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm right, he didn't make an installment plan, he didn't make a payment on sin, but Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Thank God. He paid it all and the veil is gone the atonement of my salvation now I think about this there for this atonement of salvation we must consider the priest because it was the job of the priest to make an atonement for the people but here's something you got to think about. That priest and that Levitical priesthood, according to Hebrews 9, 7, says, But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Hebrew writer is teaching us in that text, Brother Charles, that before, Brother Richie, before that priest could make an atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel, he had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. He had to get God to forgive his sins. But this morning, our priest did not have to make a sacrifice for his sins. He did not have to make an atonement for his transgressions or iniquities. But I'm so glad when he walked into that heavenly tabernacle, that more perfect building, he was perfect and sinless and holy. Aren't you glad Hebrews 9-11 says, But Christ, become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. I'm glad this morning we have a great high priest. My priest is alive this morning. He is able. He is adequate. Thank God we have a priest this morning. Amen. I, I, I understand there are people, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I know there are people that were raised in Catholicism and around Roman Catholic doctrine, and they were taught that you would have to go through the priest to get to God. But I tell you, there is no middleman. 
There is one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know why we can get to God through Jesus Christ? Because He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is our daysman. He is our go-between. Buster Seaton said at Calvary, Jesus reached up and grabbed deity by the hand and reached down and grabbed depravity by the hand, and He became the mediator of a new covenant, and He reconciled us to God. May I remind you Jesus didn't die on the cross just so you could go to heaven when you die Jesus died on the cross not to get you to heaven but to get you to God hey man that's right I tell you what good would heaven be if I couldn't get to God what good would heaven be if I couldn't have access to him I tell you honey heaven is just a benefit of reconciliation so there is the priest we must consider but them not only is it you got to consider the priest, but you got to consider the presentation. That priest, when he went behind that veil, Brother Charles, he couldn't go alone. He had to take something with him. He had to take blood. An animal would be sacrificed. And he had that blood in that basin. And he would, he would walk in. and Y'all forgive me, this is the best I got for a hyssop brush. All right. He would walk in to that, to that tabernacle and he would get before that mercy seat and he would take that hyssop brush and dip it down in that blood and begin to sprinkle it on that mercy seat. And that, that blood, that bullock and that lamb did not pay for our sins. It simply put it off for another year and it put it off for another year. Why? Because even though God required an animal sacrifice, the blood of an animal was still defiled. It's still just an animal. It's still just, just a worthless creature on the earth and so he put that blood but he had to do it again the next year and he had to do it the next year and he had to do it the next year but I'm telling you Jesus he did not walk into that tabernacle with the blood of goats or bullocks but the Hebrew writer said he entered neither by the blood of goats or cows but by his own blood he entered once to the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us all for years that altar cried sacrifice sacrifice had to have a sacrifice it, was, it always cried out for that. But when Jesus died and rose again, had he entered that perfect tabernacle, that more perfect building, that all, and he applied his blood on that mercy seat, that altar's been crying, satisfied, satisfied. The wrath of God has been satisfied. And that's why the veil's gone. Y'all getting a hold of this? And so there's the priest and there's the presentation. But there's the permanence of this. Remember that priest had to go every year. Every year. But you notice what the Hebrew writer said? By his own blood he entered once. Somebody said, why did he just go once? Because once was enough. I like what Ken Bowman said. You only find the word Calvary one time in your Bible. And Brother Ken in that deep Georgia southern accent said, and the reason it's only in there one time is because once was enough. Aren't you glad they'll never crucify him again? He'll never be beaten again. He'll never be scourged again. They won't put a crown of thorns on his head again. They won't scourge him again. They won't put nails in his hands and feet. They won't thrust a spear in his side. But the next time they'll send they'll say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Where'd you get those wounds? He'll say, In the house of my friends. He's not coming back to be a sacrifice. He's coming back to be sovereign. Thank God when the veil was rent, there was an atonement for salvation number two when the veil was rent there is access for the saints the Hebrew writer said see and then we have a great high priest that is passed to the heavens Jesus the son of God 
Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now we have access to God. Personally, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Meaning this, you can get to God just as good as I can. I appreciate people saying they want the preacher to pray for him, and that's good, but I ain't got no special superpowers. There ain't no S on my chest. I'm just telling you. I, I, I mean, I, 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 you have the same. I understand bearing one of those burdens. I'm not, I'm not being critical of that. You understand. But you realize you can pray too if you're saved by the grace of God. If Jesus is your Father and heaven is your home and the Bible's your guide, you have access to the Father. And according to this Bible, first of all, you can come boldly. Now, that word boldly, I know some guys, they croak when you say you use a Strong's Concordance. But words, words in our English language don't mean the same anymore, hardly. That word boldly, you look it up in a Strong's Concordance. Here's what it means. Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Assurance. That's pretty good, but here's where it got really good. Freedom in speaking. Openly, frankly, without concealment, even when you don't know how to say it. That's what strong concordance says. Somebody said, Preacher, what's so good about that? You can't tell some people everything. And you can't even, sometimes you only know how to say it yourself. But I'm so glad I can come before God. And I can tell Him what's going on in my heart and in my life. And He don't judge me. Are you, are you talking to me? Are you hearing me? He don't, he don't, he don't criticize. Hey, you can come to me and bear a burden to me, and I'm human. I'll be like, what's the big deal about that? Don't look at me like that. You the same way too. You ain't no more spiritual than I am. Amen. We always say that don't mean much, but aren't you glad when you come to God, you can come boldly knowing he's going to listen. The songwriter said, Jesus knows all about our trouble. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You can come boldly, but we can come because of the blood. Hebrews 10 said, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. When you, when you and I pray, the only reason we can pray is because of the blood that was shed. Amen. In my own merits, I have no right to come before God. But I can come on the basis of the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We can come with our burdens. He said, let us forth come boldly to the throne of the grace. That we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody got any needs? I like Brother Jimbo Seaton said, we got some big problems, but we got a big Bible. You get a hold of that? We got some big problems, but we got a big Bible, and we got a big God this morning. And aren't you glad we can bring those to Jesus? We can bring those to the Lord. We can take those to Him. What we're bad about doing, we're bad about coming to the altar, bringing our burdens, picking them up and taking them right back to our seat with us. Like the old fellow was walking down the road during the, during the days when they had this wag, horse and wagons, horse and buggies, and he's carrying a 50-pound sack of flyer to the house, and his neighbor come by and said, Hey, buddy, said, I'm heading towards the house, headed your way, just hop on the wagon, I'll, you ain't got to walk the rest of the way home. He said, boy, I appreciate that, that's very neighborly of you. He got back of that wagon, they're riding along, that fellow looked back there, was driving the horse, and looked, that fellow still had that 50-pound sack of flyer on his shoulder. He said, man, 
Put that bag of flour down. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I've done inconvenienced you enough you having to transport me. I don't want you to have to carry my flour too. You'll get that after a while. Ain't that how we are? We say, we're in the hand of God. Are we not? Well, if we're carrying something and he's carrying us, why don't we just give it to him? You know why? Because the veil's gone. You think about that privilege you have to go to God in prayer. But that's all introduction. <laughs> that's the scariest word ever. A man's been preaching 20 minutes. <laughs> we, when that veil was rent, there was atonement for salvation. There's access for the saved. But you know what I'm finding more and more since that veil's been rent? There's an absence in the secret place. We're shouting about that veil being gone, ain't we? Thank God we can pray. But did you pray this morning? Thank God we say, aren't you glad God hears and answers prayer? And all the church said amen. But did you pray this morning? When's the last time you prayed? I'm not talking about over your food. I'm talking about where you went. I, hey, and by the way, just so you don't think I'm preaching down to you, I struggle with this too, but we all going to get this straightened out today, ain't we? Amen. We say we believe in prayer, but we don't pray. I was reminded of a statement of Brother Keith Voles made in that pulpit a year ago because he's fixed to preach back to Bethel. He said, when you and I do not pray, we are saying to God Almighty, I don't need you. Now, we would never say those words, would we? We wouldn't tell God, I don't need you. But when we do not pray, when we get up and we start our day, and we don't seek the face of God, we're saying, I don't need you today, Lord. I got this, because I'm talented, and I've got strength, and I've got ability, and I can do this, and I can do that. I don't need you. That's what we say, ain't it? You realize the reason Jesus died on the cross was a twofold reason. Brother Michael, he went out. So, Brother Michael, <laughs> who also is known as Matthew, <laughs> Jesus died on that cross for two reasons for the redemption of sinners and to have a relationship with the saints. Once he redeems you, he wants to have a relationship with you. Did you talk to him this morning? I made sure I talked to him before I preached like this. But sad is, many times as preachers, we know we're going to preach on prayer, so we kind of beef up our prayer life so we can preach on it, and then we don't do nothing else about it. That's a preacher confession. I'm telling you this morning, that veil's been rent, that way has been made, but we don't pray. I've been convicted in my own life about this. I'll go and preach meetings. We'll have services here, and God blesses. And I know I haven't prayed like I should. And I'm thinking to myself, what would have God have done if I'd prayed? God just does many things just because he's merciful. But if we'll seek his, and you know what we're bad about doing? We seek his hand, and we never seek his face. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But we never seek him. So I said, how can you preach this so plain? Because I deal with it. If we don't pray, the flesh will be dominant in our life. The flesh is always going to take hold of our life. It's going to rule. 
I tell you, when we don't pray, our faith will decrease. It won't increase. Pray, not praying has never increased anybody's faith. The foe will be delighted when we don't pray. The flock, the church will be destitute when we don't pray. You know why churches die? Because churches don't pray. The Father will be disappointed if we don't pray. When we are absent from the secret place, we live in doubt. We're living in danger. You talking about living on the edge? We live in defilement, sin. If you're not praying, you're sinning. I mean, that's just, that's just, that, that, I mean, that's literally where the rubber meets the road. We don't pray, you know, you're going to live a life of defeat. Dr. Lee Robertson, uh, pastor of the um, Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, president, founder, chan- I get, he founded the college too, Tennessee Temple University. Brother Sanford was a graduate of that great school. Sadly, it's went to a pot, don't even exist anymore. It's so sad. Dr. Robertson's been with the Lord probably 15 years, I'd say, Miss, Miss Francis, somewhere around there. If you were a member of Highland Park Baptist Church and you wanted counsel from Dr. Robertson, Miss Francis probably ran, what, 4,000 at least? That, I mean, how big their church was. 4,000 people, one pastor. Here's what Brother Robertson would do on Sunday nights. He'd get done preaching. He'd sit down in the front row and people would come by for counsel. It didn't matter if they were having trouble in their marriage, with their kids, with their finances. Here's what he'd say. Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you being a witness? Or are you tithing? And if they said no to any of that stuff, he said, well, I can't help you. He said, but if, you're, if you'll do those four things, and are you coming to church faithfully? Those are those five things. He'd do those, and he said, if they wasn't doing one of the five, he said, well, I can't help you because you're not doing the, the small things you're supposed to be doing. You know what, that man of God has some wisdom. If you come to church, read the Bible, pray, give like you're supposed to, and be a witness, that's pretty much everything we're supposed to be doing for the Lord. And things, and if we're praying, we're seeking the Lord's face about our needs. What am I going to do? That's what Dr. Robertson understood. That's a lot of wisdom in that. He probably saved him. That's why he still had all of his hair when he died. Amen. <laughs> what I'm saying this morning is we live in disobedience. Brother Ricky Gravely made this statement, and this, were, and this helped me a lot. I don't pray because I'm spiritual, I pray because I'm not. Well, if I was spiritual like Brother So-and-so, I could pray. Spiritual people don't pray. Weak people pray. Struggling people pray. Why don't we pray? Our fears and worries, we're more concerned with that. <laughs> Gentlemen testified at camp meeting Friday night. Said God saved and delivered him from alcohol. And the preacher said, did you give up that alcohol? He said, yes, but I haven't given up the news yet. <laughs> That's literally what he said. I said, we'll pray for you, brother. But we'd rather, we'd rather be consumed with the world and with the news and worry about it and we don't pray. When's the last time you prayed for this nation? Our fondness of the world. Well, if we spend as much time praying as we, and reading the Bible as we did on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or watch this. I'll sit down Saturday. By the way, I'm making plans. Don't anybody die on Saturday for the next 12 weeks, all right? College football season started. Amen. <laughs> you can smile, okay? Next Saturday, I plan on being in my chair watching Georgia whoop up on the Donald Ducks, Oregon, Oregon Ducks, all right? That game will be three hours long. When's the last time I prayed three hours? When's the last time I read the Bible for three hours? But I'll sit there and won't even miss a, won't even miss a beat. I want to see every play. I want to see the coin. I want to see it all. By the way, you got what you like. 
We ought to pray it during troubled times, trying times, turbulent times, terrific times at all times. I wrote this down, and this is very practical, but there might be somebody here this morning who said, Preacher, how do, I even, how do I even start to pray? Let's just be honest. It's awkward, ain't it? Getting down somewhere in a room by yourself and talking to somebody you can't see. Of course, most of us are half crazy, so most of us are talking to people we can't see. I talk to myself all the time. When I want expert advice, I talk to myself. I fuss at myself, too. You big dummy. I mean, yes. The reason I do that because I hear it so much at home, it just comes out of my mouth. You big dummy. You know. Not from my wife, from my kids, all right? I wrote this down this morning. This, this ain't real deep. How do I start praying, preacher? Get you a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, I, I used to say get you a prayer list. And I'm not making fun of prayer lists. I, I'm going to emphasize that. But here's what our prayer lists become if we're not careful. They become Santa Claus wish lists. Daxon's already got his Amazon wish list for Christmas. And I told him to. And we're buying stuff every week leading up for Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But sadly, our prayer lists are sometimes Santa Claus wish lists. I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. So here's what that first page of your prayer list needs to look like. I call it a thank you page. Are you, talk, are you hearing me? This is practical, okay? Everybody can get this. It's a thank you page where you write down everything you're thankful for about God. First, that you're thankful about God. What do you mean? His grace, His love, His salvation, His word, His spirit, His church. You think about it enough, you can write a lot of things down. And then when you have a get the thank you God page done, then the next page is thank you God for my family, my home, my food, my clothes, my finances, my health, my country, my church, my preacher. <laughs> Some of y'all need to smile. What do you thank God for? My job, my ability to do my job, my paycheck, my retirement check, my I don't do nothing at home check, Amen. <laughs> whatever it is. And then when you get done with all that thank you, by the way, it needs to be more than thank you, Lord, for everything. You need to be specific about it. You want God just to bless you in general or God to bless you specifically? Amen. And then when you get done with that, then you write down, I, I got to, and I'm working on this, something I've, I've started and I'm starting back. You that are married, you ought to have a page for your spouse. And write on that page everything you want God to do for your spouse. And I ain't talking about make her Lord a better cook. Lord, don't help them be so grumpy and so cranky. <laughs> Boy, that could be a long list. <laughs> Rhonda's like, they ain't got enough paper for me to write everything down for Tony. All right. <laughs> PDF, small font, single space. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. Amen. Then you ought to have a page for each of your children. Then you ought to have a page for your church where you put your church family. Missionaries. And on and on. It'll grow. Preacher, what do you mean? Well, you, get, you just bring that list for God. Preacher, I don't want to be methodical. Here's what I have found. And I'm not an expert on prayer. By the way, any preacher gets up and tells you that they're an expert on prayer, hold your wallet and keep your hand on your wife because they're going to go for one of the two. They're a liar. All right? But I have learned when I started thinking of those things, I think about things I didn't write down. So sometimes it's good to take a pen with you. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. Because y'all want to thank him for that tomorrow. 
that makes sense. Prayer changes things. It got Peter out of prison in Acts 12. Got Jonah out of the well in Jonah 2. Elijah prayed and the fire fell. And he never even asked for fire. Ain't that amazing? They're up there on Mount Carmel. They're saying, Baal, send the fire. The God that answers by fire is going to be God. Elijah never even asked for fire. He just asked for God to be God. Acts 4, they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I wrote two quotes down and I'm done. I wasn't being disrespectful to Brother Charles, but I, I knew I had a quote book in my office and I wanted to write a couple quotes down. Tozer said, True prayer cannot be imitated, nor can it be learned from someone else. Everyone must pray as if he alone could pray. As he, as he, uh, and his approach must be individual and independent. That is, independent of everyone but the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like me and you read Tozer, you say, Huh? So here's what he's saying. You hear about people praying and laying on their face for hours for God. And you know what that does? That intimidates you. I could never pray that long. So pray as long as you can. They said about Spurgeon, he didn't pray long, but he didn't go long without praying. And then he made this statement. The Christian should live on his knees, fight on his knees, and go to heaven from his knees. If you don't pray for your children, who will? If you don't pray for your marriage, who will? If you don't pray for your church, who will? Well, we're shouting them first two points. The veil's gone. Hallelujah. We had access. But we don't even go. Can I illustrate it like this? And, I, and we're going to be done. We took the kids and took Brittany to Carowinds for her birthday. and Probably going to buy season passes next year just because it's a good deal. If you go twice, it's paid for. But you know what it's, you know what not praying is like? Not praying is like me having season passes to Carowinds and talking about how much I love Carowinds and how much I love riding the Fury. I can't ride those things that spin you around anymore. I've done I've done, can't, I've done got too old for that, all right? You laughing, you just wait till you get on one, all right? William and Leah can't ride them either, all right. I what it's like me talking about how much I love to ride the Fury. That Caden kept his eyes closed the whole time on. Oh, sorry, I said that out loud. <laughs> he prayed the whole time like this. Oh, God, get me off this thing. <laughs> and God answered prayer, didn't he? Amen. <laughs> you know what it's like? It's like me talking about how much I love carowinds. And I got a season pass. I can go into, the price has been paid. But I never go. And I never enjoy what's been provided for me. That's what it is when we don't pray. That's a horrible illustration. But I hope you get the idea of what it's like when we don't pray. The way's been made. The payment's been made. All you got to do is go. You know what? I, when I bought them tickets on Carowinds, come on, Brother Matthew. When I bought them tickets on Carowinds, all I had to do, Brother Tony, was show up. I didn't have to pull any money out of my pocket. All I had to do was just walk in. That's the way prayer is. But, you know, it'd be a waste of money for me to buy those season tickets next year and never go. Are we wasting Calvary? Because we never go. Has God wasted his grace on you? May God help us. If you don't have a prayer life, or your prayer life is weakened and you've not been praying, let's all make a commitment today. That's going to change today by the grace of God. I'm going to set some time out where I'm going to pray. Okay, if you can't pray in the morning, pray in the afternoon. If you can't pray in the afternoon, pray at night. 
Find a time to pray. But don't tell me you don't have time to pray, but you got time to watch TV. you got time to get on Facebook. Sometimes I pray on the lawnmower. You can laugh at that. Brother Tony helped me cut the grass, and I appreciate his help. But I told him, I said, Brother Tony, Brother Tony sometimes I want to cut the grass. Because sometimes that, that X mark, the safe harbor horse as we call it, sometimes that's my prayer closet. You better just have a place where you talk to God and you pray. We've made it so sensational and so spooky when it's not. It's just telling God how much you love Him. And once you start bragging on Him, that big old list you had, oh, you can give you a list, your needs, but it becomes more about wanting Him, seeking His face rather than seeking His hand. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. These altars are open.